the dryer ricotta helps. Yes, big time. So when is it? When is ricotta become too dry? Oh, see, this is a this is a podcast. Well, then when it's <laughs> too dry, your, your, your the ricottone is too dry. Uh, it, it drop, uh, drop yeah, dry. It that drop I'm gonna hire a new moderator. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm high. Remember? We ready to go? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I drugged you by accident. Sorry. All right. Start the music. John drugged me at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. I'm, I'm un- I've unknowingly ingested like. Who the hell knows what CBGB oils is? I don't even know what I'm this sorry. is. How many milligrams have I ingested? I she would have ate the whole bag if I didn't say. That's you might want to check about the bella cosa. Definitely two plus times the amount. 25 times five. Yeah, yeah. I, I've unknowingly ingested. We should give him some. Piano, piano, yeah. Here you go. Right, I'm going to give it to my mother. Yeah. Can I get a high? See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino, then they make you roly-poly, you get stuffed with ravioli. Your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born in Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Italian American Podcast We are coming to you from the Tower of Italian Power In the middle of Midtown Manhattan uh, Wonderful day to everybody And uh, I am your moderator John Viola Really glad to be with you all today and surrounded by some people that I just think the world of. We will spare the long introductions. We have Pat, Rosella, Dolores, myself, and the newest addition to our Italian-American podcast family. For those of you who are members of the new neighborhood or follow us on social media, you have already been introduced to Ms. Stephanie Longo. And Stephanie is our new administrator and uh, associate producer. Administratrix, I think we should say. Administratrix <laughs> sounds good to no, me. No, because it's like old. <laughs> it's administratrix. Administratrix. Uh, Stephanie, why don't you say hi to everybody? Ciao tutti. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're happy to have you all the way from where? I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Another part of the Italian heartland, right? Yes, definitely. We have a lot of exciting Italian culture in our area, so if any of you are around, please feel free to reach out through the podcast, and I'd be happy to give you a tour. Sounds really, really appealing, and Stephanie is uh, very much a pro-Italian-American. She's a writer. She's written a bunch of books on the Italian-American experience. She's uh, a part of every group out there and goes to every event. Did you bring us any of your books? John has a copy of my last book, so I will bring How come John got a copy? makes John... Why? I mean, I'm glad John got a copy. John signs the checks. At the no, I mean, I know you sign. I'll buy a book. I'm not school's too much. I'll okay. buy the book. Next time I'm in yeah, New York. Yeah, sure. No, it's all right. If I got to ask, it's already gone. No, no one's already accusing gone. you of being school's too much, I just want to read your book. I will book. make sure that you get to read. Wait Thank a minute. You. I emailed you a copy of my book. I can't read this stuff. I want an old. F- I want a book. <laughs> Pat I don't wants want to, to read a book like it's 1992 yes, again. Yeah, but I, because do you want to read? I'm gonna. We're all gonna go blind. We're gonna be in our 60s and blind from blue lights. <laughs> to the chicot because I I just want to read a book that's a book. Okay. I can't. I'm, She's I'm honest. I'm in New York. John's getting us. John's getting us. I'm, over I'm, here I'm with this. You, what is this? Yeah. Duckhorn Vineyards? Yeah, I got you a little wine today. But it's really great to have Stephanie as a part of the team. She's going to be a big addition to what we do. And again, if you're out there and you're 
following us on social media or you're in the new neighborhood in particular, you're going to get a great amount of time to interact with this professional Italian-American who is uh, the newest member of the family. So welcome aboard, and we're really happy to have you. Welcome, Stephanie. And it's great that Stephanie's coming aboard uh, now because, you know, the new year has started, and one of the projects we wanted to make sure we addressed in the beginning of 2020 was the Italian-American Identity Survey, which we called Italian-America 2020, that we put out uh, a couple months ago for Italian-American Heritage Month in October. So if you're a longtime listener of the show, you've probably listened in the archive. We've got an episode where Pat and I kind of discussed what the goals were. And so what we kind of wanted to do was, uh, once again, go over a little bit of how we came to these questions, what our findings are, where we're going to take this information as we dig a little bit deeper And because there's so much information in this survey, and we've just really begun to scratch the surface to see what this thing can tell us about the Italian-American community, this is going to be a multi-part episode. We're going to have at least three episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks where we go over the results and sort of share them and dig deep. And if you'd like to follow along and actually see the raw data, it will also be released piece by piece, each week corresponding to the questions that we're discussing here on the show. And that'll be available either on the Italian American Podcast Facebook page and some of our other social media outlets. If you're not following us on social media, you can certainly email us at info at italianpower.com and we'll be happy to send you uh, week by week the data that we discuss on each episode. So I hope you guys are ready to uh, really get into what this thing says about the Italian American community. I'm excited. Do you yeah. know what I got this week? I'm glad somebody is. <laughs> do you know what I got this week? This has nothing to do with this podcast, but I just Shop. want to share this. What? Salted pig's feet and salted pig. That's the best thing for amanaced. Is this, is you this part of the survey? No, I want to tell. What's your favorite ingredient This is a public service announcement. Salted pig's feet didn't pull. I'm so excited because to make the real minestra was made from salted. Because what happened was you'd, you'd kill the pig, right? Yeah. And then some stuff would be made into sausage, right? So that would be made sometimes smoked, but it would be dried and cured. And some stuff was salted. Yeah. So before refrigeration, or before the fact, before you uh, traditionally you only kill the pig around this time of year, and that's when you had fresh pork. The rest of you, you had salted pork. So the minestra was you would soak the salted pig's feet and snout and nose and all those parts. You would soak them, get some of the salt out, and you would take the meat out the next morning, and then you would cook it with green vegetables. Mm. And that's where the minestra came from. Where'd you find these? The Portuguese butchers in Newark still have salted pork because Portuguese people still use salted pork. I don't know how Pat doesn't have his own show, like that Weird Things show, like with yes. Andrew Zimmern. I think we need to do that. I feel like Pat is the Italian-American yes, answer to this. he is. He, you, you are the best instructor we could possibly ask to revive and explain a lot of the history of our sort of more unique recipes and ingredients, I think. I think that'd be fun. The minestra was the Sunday meal before the tomato came. Before... Yeah. The sauceless gravy. Are you talking about uh, a pasta maritata? Yeah, minestra maritata. Minestra maritata. So Italian wedding soup, essentially. Basically, What yes. people call today Italian wedding Correct. soup. Correct. Because if we want to have like a nice long debate about what is and what is not Italian wedding soup, we could. On So the basis of the Italian wedding soup was salted pig parts. And it got dried. See, what happened is why you had to boil it was it got dried out. So you would have to revive it. Revive it. Yeah. Um, some places you had... Dried, salted. Sometimes you had it in brine, depending on where it was. I like in brine. But you had to soak it like bacala, get the salt out, and then you cooked it, and the cooking tenderized it, and you would throw in your green vegetables, and that's what people ate on Sundays. 
and the maritadas, the beauty of it is like the, I think it's become a wedding tradition, but it actually means the wedding of the meat and the vegetable. It doesn't. It means yeah, the marriage of the meat and the vegetable, not. This needs to be served at a wedding. I, I think people began to think it was. See, now, in some parts of the south of Italy, the little meatballs and the green vegetables, like the chigori and the meatballs, was an opening, a pre-macaroni course. Mm-hmm. So you had very festive occasions. You would have the little meatballs with the greens. And I think people began to amalgamate that ideologically with the wedding soup and just thought that that was an opener to wedding. Well, that has nothing to do with this poll. Nope. But I got ADD, <laughs> I've been told, and you're all getting on board with this. That's a you whole a, other episode. <laughs> whole thing, and I just want to share whatever. We should have a, they have like a national Nutella day. We should have national salted pig feet day. We can start anything we want. Could we? Whatever you declare. Are there people out there who like eat salted pig's feet with me, united? I'm no, in. I think there's a calendar, and you have to see actually what day is free, because you wouldn't want to have salted pig's feet day on like national cheesecake day. That's true. We don't want to compete Why with not? something. Well, because be more you, could have, you could have like those you're competing for the hashtag. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is the lady who knows. But you know, you bring up an interesting point because uh, you know the question of like the traditions on wedding soup. One of the things we are going to get to that we asked in here is what kind of traditions do people still keep? And I was really fascinated to see what was um, what kind of stuff myself and my family or our families that you know we know each other so well are doing, and what the respondents we're saying that they do to sort of keep their heritage and culture alive. And so let me just lay the groundwork. We, we created this thing. None of us are demographers. I am uh, dyslexic, so there were some glaring spelling problems. We did it all ourselves. We did not go out and hire a firm. There's no Zogby pollster behind this. It was us asking real questions that we wanted to know. Some of the questions were standard survey questions that I sort of decided we could take from uh, recommendations through the service that we used. Uh, other ones were really, really hyper-specific questions. Some of them were audience-generated. We, we did ask our audience on social media to come up with some, and some came up with great questions. But the whole point was to really understand where the average might be of the Italian-American experience today, because it is such a personal thing, your heritage, how you relate to it. We know we have a huge self-identification, 18-plus million during the last census, and by the way, the census is coming up 2020. Say, yep. So let's if you're out there, Make sure to mark down the line yes. other Italian or Italian-American. Let's Tell keep those numbers friends. high. Yeah, We should you. make that on every podcast an advertisement. Yeah, we should do that. That's idea. a good idea. Go out. Go ahead, John. Plug it. Go you, out. You're the, you're the captain on this ship. <laughs> Go out and send the message. You're the ward leader, though. You're probably better at that. I'm the ward leader now coming out. <laughs> the Irish ward leader, you know, coming out here. <laughs> you really do. It's true. You should go out, take the census, make sure our voice is heard. That's the only way we're going to be paid attention to, really. So... You know, I'm so proud of the fact that for all these years, the numbers have gone up of self-identification. So let's keep that trend another 10 years. So uh, if you haven't taken it already, go out and take the 2020 census. But it was interesting because we, we sort of put this out ourselves. We shared it with other groups. We shared it with, through social media. And we actually got more respondents than I thought we would because it was a 43-question survey. It was a relatively long survey to take. And uh, we were advised to make it shorter, but I thought people would really want to tell us how they felt. So how do you how do you surmise being Italian American in less than 43 questions? <laughs> very good point. That is a very good point. And speaking to that point, I tried to make as much as possible the line for other and sort of fill in your own answer because I thought we're Italian Americans and if I don't give people a soapbox to tell me exactly how they feel, they may get frustrated by this thing. And let me tell you. Word People, yeah, right. let you me know. let me guess. People told you exactly People how they told, felt. Yes, uh, other was a very very common answer in our uh, survey. So what we're doing now is actually 
when you see this stuff online in infographic form, you'll see a summarized version. But we're actually going to send it out to another service where we're going to aggregate these things with a little bit more um, sophisticated algorithm. So we can sort of plug the other in. So if the other sort of answers somewhere, we want to, we really want to get to know everybody's answers in an intimate way. So we had 1,625 respondents, which I thought was pretty great. And we had it up there for a while, and we should have pushed it every few weeks, but uh, really happy with the result we got. So let's dig right into the sort of broad strokes of who was there. Out of 1,625 people, we had 66% respondents female and 32.7% respondents male and 1.3% who opted not to share that answer. So I, I actually thought it would be what more... What percent didn't share? 1.3%. Okay, that's, yeah. a, that's statistically a low number. That's a low number, yeah, right? Low yeah, low number. Um, the age demographic was really fascinating because I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but the largest segment of respondents was between the age of 55 and 64. That was 22.8%. Then the respondents between the age of 45 and 54, 19.6%. Between the age of 35 and 44, where all of us fall in, uh, 16.7%. Not all of us. No, sorry. <laughs> Pat's birthday passed. <laughs> Not oh, all of boy. us. Uh, between 14.8% was people between the age of 65 and 74. Those between 25 and the age of 34 were 14.5%. And then 18 to 24 was 5.5%. 75 plus was 4.6%. And those who were under 18, which I... I don't know how you found our stuff, 1.5%. So I, I was actually relatively evenly split. I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I think those higher numbers in the kind of like 35 to 50-ish range make sense because I think a lot of the times it takes you getting a little bit older, maybe you know starting to have a family, that you realize you really want to hold on to your heritage, you really want to pass it on to your kids, and then you know people tend to find our show um, yeah. that way, you know, so it doesn't surprise me either. And I also think staring down the barrel of a half an hour survey is not for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I have not right. dug into, uh, we can tell what platform people took it on. Was it the phone? Was it this? But We can tell all that stuff? Yeah. I haven't looked at it because I, wow. I don't really care yet. But we will because we want to know what that means. And But I was really actually pleasantly surprised to see how kind of evenly split this was. Yeah, I think people really want to, like you said, they really want to express yeah. what they think about their heritage, how they feel about their heritage. You know, at least Italian-Americans do. Yes, well, <laughs> amongst the many things we want to yeah. express and be put <laughs> on record about. But, I, I, I mean, it's also because, from, frankly, and you know, I never criticize the institutional Italian-American community on this show, but nobody else is doing this. Mm. And that mm -hmm. that is bothersome to me because, you know, a lot of we here, you know, we, we certainly count on the support of members of the new neighborhood and people who um, encourage and come on and participate with us in advertising and whatnot. But, you know, we really do this on our own. And these other groups, they're dependent on membership and growth to survive, and they should be wondering. I'm like, why are you not but they, but wondering? They, John, this is the big conversation we've had because we're friends on here, but we also were all leaders in the Italian-American community, and that's part of our the patchwork that we've woven together as a group. And I think that um, what has separated some of us in an ideological sense is there's the Italian-American community who's living on nostalgia. Yeah. Right. And it's um, it's the boomer. And it's not this is not like the hey, boomer, whatever that that hashtag. Thing I don't about. get it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who grew up in the 50s, which was kind of an end of a different Italian America. You know, their grandparents came during the Great Migration and they talk about being in the basement 
and the, the museum uh, living room upstairs, the parlor with the plastic on the furniture, and eating downstairs, and 800 relatives uh, coming over for, for lunch on Sunday, and grandma's meatballs, and taking down doors to extend the table, and all, all this stuff. <laughs> but Dick, but, <laughs> but it's, it's constantly, and my argument is, it's like living, it's like, we're a we're a community based on nostalgia, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. Yes, yeah, that's case. been our idea. So we keep talking about you know, how do you fry meatballs in yoga pants? You right. know, that's where are we going from here? Yeah, and I think what's defined us is that we're looking to where is the trend going? Right, right. And I think that a lot of the disagreements we've had with people in the Italian American community, to be very clear, is that they're working on a nostalgia basis, trying to live off the fumes of sixty years ago. Mm. What we're saying is, where are we going to be sixty years from now? I agree, yeah. And that's why we did something like the survey, because we want to know where are we going to be 60 years from now. Exactly. They're not interested because their MO is the past. Yeah, you're really brilliant. Which we celebrate. Yeah. But, you know, it's like ieri oggi and domani. A third of our experience is what was, a third of our experience is what is, and a third of our experience is going to be what's coming, what's exactly. going to be for, the, for, for, you know, like Angelo, like for your son. Like what's, you know, your baby's not even a year old yet, God bless him. What's his experience going to be? Yeah. You know, so that's why I think that this is so important because we're here having that discussion. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, and you know everybody. Well who, said. Yeah, really brilliant. And that's been a big part of my efforts in my time in the institutional community. And I think it's really fascinating to see that many people who have leadership responsibilities in this community would bemoan the fact that oh, everything is disappearing and we don't do this anymore, and it's not, but it's not dying. And the self-identification from the U.S. census alone tells us the identity is there. So I guess my ultimate purpose was this was to say, okay, people self-identify, so what does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Can we put some trends to that? It's never going to be like a, a monolithic Italian-American identity, but are there some blips and hotspots where we all are kind of united because any demographic information or research information I had seen had said we were – very split politically and very you know, split consumer base and this, that, and the other. So I thought maybe it's time that we took our own little I'm excited to hear about that in particular. I think that's yeah. a very interesting we, – we've talked about this yeah. quite often, that, that uh, you know, what are we politically? Um, and, you know, it used to be a very strong voting block back in the day. Not really so, Not much, really so anymore, much anymore. Yeah. But so I'm kind of interested to see um, – I think that's sort of we've matured as a community. Like that you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, and you can still be Italian-American. Right. Yeah. We've assimilated. So so you don't really identify anymore politically through your heritage. You, you identify your heritage on other things. I disagree. I'm going to tell you why I disagree Well, let's see, if we, let's see what the results yeah. out. Let me just say True. one thing, and then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to – I don't know the results yeah. yet. So yeah, I well, none say of us do. Did you say that, that we don't biased. know the results? That's right. I'm introducing this to everybody. Yeah. Italian-Americans came at a time. If if we're if a photograph is taken of us as being Democratic voters, and I don't think that was true in certain states, I think we were very Republican in places like Rhode Island, just because the Democrats didn't want us. <laughs> but if the v- major the overwhelming majority of Italian Americans, I'd say up until the Cuomo years, voted Democratic, that was like the country as a whole. So if you take the Hispanics as um, a new paradigm of immigration, there's a lot of Hispanics who vote Republican. Right? I think Trump got 30% of the Hispanic vote. So I think that no one is as monolithic as they were 100 years ago. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times people say this. And the reason I say this, Dolores, and I, and I want to I delineate something that I think needs clarification. It's not so much that we've assimilated, but we have. It's that the country's also changed. So to, to, to kind of to say, okay, we also have to work into the, to the numbers 
America's a different place. Yeah. So it's going to be seen in a different sense. So, you know, if you just take, like, religiosity, Italian-Americans are less religious than they were 100 years ago. But Italy's super less religious than it was right. 100 years ago. Right. So even in the mother country, stuff has changed. Yeah. But there are definitely still groups in this country that are looked at and treated as a voting block. And when the, the fact of the matter sure is, in this are. country and probably in many other countries, is when you're a voting block, you get listened to. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And so, Or a consumer block. You get advertised to. Exactly. So we don't really get a lot of attention because we don't all vote the same way anymore. I agree with that. Yeah. That's, and that's I, well, I, th- I think the other big thing is that we're, we speak English. Yeah. We're not a right. linguistic block. So you're not a linguistic block anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you take like the World War One war bond, John's, John, no one has a collection of the stuff like John does. And if you take like World War One war bonds, we were advertising for people to buy war bonds in Italian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was because we didn't. But, you know, I was, um, I had on, uh, what was the name of that show that they all watch? The Price is Right? No, let's make a deal. What's the one they all dress up in the costume? Let's make a deal. I had an Italian. Price immig- is Right. Price is Right, yeah. No, they wear the costumes. Yeah. So let's yeah. make a deal. No. No, Price is Right don't wear costumes. Yeah, so they get picked in, in from the audience? But yeah, it's, let's make a deal. Yeah, it's, let's make a deal because they have the Zonks. I, don't, I was just not in the background. Wait, that but, sounds like let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. All right. yeah. so we'll they all had, agree to disagree. Yep. There was an Italian girl on Let's Make a Deal. I would say she was in her 20s. I would say she was a new immigrant. She spoke absolutely perfect English because she was saying some stuff. And we we all have family members and neighbors who have been in this country since the 50s and still can't order a cup of coffee. <laughs> So it's just a different kind of yeah, immigration. It's true. Yeah. Different kind of linguistic ability. Yeah. That's I'm true. done. <laughs> <laughs> so they're giving me the look. You can't see it. About I'm getting the kick under the no, table. No, no, no. You make the a great kick point. under the table. You make a great point. You really do. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce a couple of these points. Some of the stuff I'm going to keep back and we'll just share it online because it's not necessarily pertinent to the conversation. But, uh, you know, we asked where the respondents were from, obviously, what what state or territory where are they coming from? And uh, as you can imagine, you know, New York, 22, almost 23% of people from New York. New Jersey comes in second at 13.5%. Um, then Florida was the third largest uh, group of respondents. That was like almost 8%. That's New York and New Jersey people who've retired to Florida. That's <laughs> probably true, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, we, might, we, we should add that the question last, next the time. The last stop on the journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah right, right before the eternal Italy in the sky. <laughs> Uh, then we have... It uh, goes Italy, Brooklyn, Staten <laughs> Island, New Jersey. Last stop, Florida. That's so true. Uh, then Pennsylvania at 7.5%. And then California at about 7% itself. Mm. Massachusetts, about 5.5%. And then Connecticut and Illinois and uh, Ohio uh, and on and on and on from there. One of the things I found really funny was 52 people were from other and the only answers that were available to people were the 50 United States and the U.S. territories like Guam and the uh, Mariana Islands and stuff like that. So I'm thinking, well, other obviously should not exist, but uh, it, it, it does. And that was all Canadian Italians, Italo-Canadians. They listen to us? Yeah, they do. And they, I guess Let us know you're up there. We'll yeah. do a road trip. They really wanted to vote. They're there. Yeah, they wanted their voice heard. Oh, they are but there. You don't, you don't, it's you the don't Italian-American show. You don't show. send love down. Yeah, which which why don't we go to Woodridge, Ontario? That's my dream. We're really honored that they that listen. Woodbridge? Yeah. Woodbridge. Yeah. yeah. Woodbridge, Ontario. Yeah. That's where that's where Pasquale Parmigiano. That's where Woodbridge they were up there. and Vaughn are the two biggest Italian enclaves in Toronto. I think that 
one of our Canadian listeners should start the Italian Canadian podcast. We'll lend you the equipment. Yeah. Just come. You can come into the studio once a year. No, we, but yeah. we, why do we have to divide? Why can't we be the Italian North American podcast? Like, why? Why is there always a division? I don't want to go through trademarking again. No, nah, but why much. is there a division between the American Italians and the Canadian Italians? Why can't we just be one happy? Because they're two different countries and two different cultures. Sure, but at two the different experiences. But we're the same root. It's but just the, two different roads. Why don't we throw in Argentina? Because they don't speak English. Okay, fair enough. The language that's a plus. I want to go to Australia. They got a lot of. We got a lot of our own crowd in Australia. It's a great question. This is a great question about this survey. It, it really is. If you're Italian Canadian, send us an email. Where you are, we want to know. It's I want to know. It is interesting because they speak the same language. They have a different immigrant experience. You're they right. do. Yeah. They do. Mostly post-war. I mean, there's a, there's a pre-war community, Montreal. Darragold and St. Yeah. Catharines around there had people and, early on. Australia. You know, Australia speaks English. I was there for two weeks uh, in an official capacity as the guest of the Italian ambassador to Australia. And, you know, it, they reminded me how different it was. It was like, you know, yes, you're Italian-American. But we came here and this, and we still speak the language. And I thought to myself, you know, there's the Italian-American community, and then there's the diaspora. There's the Italians all over the place. There's the Italo-Belgians and Italo-Germans and Italo-South right. Italo Africans. And how do we connect? And, and you know, obviously Brazil has more Italians than Italy has. But what does that mean? They mostly speak Portuguese. And, like, it's very interesting to see how we interconnect. And I'm happy that Italo-Canadians have found us and appreciate and relate to what we're doing, it throws off some of the numbers on the survey. <laughs> we'll talk about Democrat, Republican uh, politics. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, it's it's a nice little open question mark for the end. Of it is. Thing. I mean, and the bottom line is, we can't speak for. You just named how many groups, how yes. many countries. We yeah. can't speak for all those countries. We always say we're doing the show from our experience. Yeah. And you know that's the bottom line. So, but maybe we'll inspire uh, Italians and and other countries to do the same thing. Or they could send us a ticket, and we'll come over, and we'll yeah, study what you're doing. That's you know? true. We love that. Yeah, we'll do always, that, too. always bring us out. Uh-huh. We're, we're mobile. We'll bring the baby, right? You know, yes. Yeah, no, Angela that. will love it. Yeah. As long as he's amongst <laughs> his tribe. I mean, it's, it is still our tribe. Um, but I You know the, what the great thing about Canada is? You can get a higher grade of brazut than you could here. <laughs> really? Yeah, because we have to nuke ours. Don't <laughs> would Nikki know? Don't it's, we have to nuke it's ours? It's ironic, because you can't get a medium well hamburger, but you can get a higher grade of prosciutto. I don't understand. What do you mean? There's something, and I, I forget this years ago. We had a we had a, a radiated. I think the brazut, the brazuto crudo that we took from Italy had to be irradiated when it comes to the states. Mm. But I don't think you have to do that when it goes to Canada. That's nice. Can they get the better mortadella? Uh, we should. Oh, just I, because of like U.S. laws. Yeah, I think yeah. we should do a brazuto that, run. Why don't we me. go up to Canada for mortadella? We'll it's interesting that you can have genetically modified soybeans oh, yeah. and corn make up everything we eat, Ugh. but you can't have prosciutto. Food like that is a whole other episode. <laughs> yes, that's true. The, the <laughs> rules true. in this country yeah. surrounding food, yeah. um, but not surrounding what you can like spray on food. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Grow food it's with. all backwards. You could base your diet off of soybeans that could walk on their own, right? But don't yeah. bring in a prosciutto that exactly. might be a little dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's insane. My uh, someone told me a story a little while ago about the, uh, a farm upstate that had all, oh gosh, I forget what kind of sheep, but like purebred something sheep. And they were selling like raw milk from the sheep. I don't know, I might have the wrong animal, or they were selling the meat and it was some kind of other animal. Long story short, the government found out, went in, made them slaughter oh all gosh. of the animals because they weren't like, you know, F- FDA regulated or 
you know, something like that. Mutated so, but animals. they were like, be- but basically, like probably the healthiest <laughs> right. animals in the country. Yeah. You know, at the, at the time. Yeah. The health department destroyed an entire container full of panettone. Why? Last year. Oh, really? Yeah, because there was no sticker indicating the origins of the milk. Oh my And the gosh. eggs in one of the cream-filled ones. You gotta be kidding me. So they held the entire container and destroyed it. I think we have an advocacy. Uh, issue on our hands here. We, we should yeah. be fighting for time. I mean, if Nona knew that much panettone <laughs> to waste, <laughs> have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that'd be no she good. She would shed a tear. <laughs> Yet somehow there's still salmonella on romaine lettuce. Yeah, that's a good so question, explain right? that to me. We're not doing that great a job. Nope. No, exactly. Nope. All that regulation and something that should not have salmonella seems to have it. I don't think the panettone from the motherland is what's getting us all no. screwed up, folks. Like no, just... say what you want about Italy. It's a clean country. Yes, absolutely. And no cleaner kitchens <laughs> yes, in the world. I agree. The yes. streets might be dirty in Naples, but you could do surgery on the floors of those kitchens. Absolutely true. House. Yes, I agree with you. You never see a dirty Chant kitchen. Chanticleer, we have the, the strongest cleaning <laughs> liquids in the world. Yeah, who knows what's right? in that thing? I buy all Italian cleaning <laughs> liquids legally before you go calling the feds on me. <laughs> right? I know your husband sells them. He does. He's they're, the they're, exclusive contractor. Does he sell the sgrassatore? Oh, yeah. Huge hit with the Italian women in my community. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> huge. They're the exclusive. I mean, wait, I'm not much of a cleaner. Does he sell the what? Sgrassatore. Sgrassatore. What's that mm-hmm. one? It's just it's a, a, a degreaser. Yeah. Oh. You could clean heavy You could use it on everything. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> on everything. And it smells you fantastic. Use it, you I know a house that's behind body it. shops buy it by the case. Are you kidding me? Yeah, to clean like the, the motors and stuff. Wow. What? I've used it to take, you know, oil out of clothing. Fantastic really? product. Yeah, yeah they yeah. make detergents and hand soap. Now, I just want to make a note. Product. Once Maybe you we clean, seek out a sponsorship. Yes, exactly. Once you clean with an Italian cleaner, you can't go back. Yeah. That's the commercial. Because the house. <laughs> now, I'll tell you why. The house smells so clean. <laughs> yes, true. The house smells like Italy. It does. It's the smell of a clean people. My grandmother used to put white it's vinegar true. in the towels. I love that smell. Mm. With the you, you, Yeah, it's something about it. Like, you in the wash with the thing, and then you take them out, they dry them, and. When you wrap that towel and it's got that white vinegar smell, you just feel so clean. I love it. Because bleach is kind of nasty. Yeah. Nothing like the smell of white vinegar. Are you crazy? <laughs> I love it. I love that smell. Only uh, an Italian kid would say something. That yeah, is true. That's, yeah. it's only some, someone like us could appreciate. That's true. It's a whole other episode. But I'm the one that goes off on tangents. <laughs> uh, I don't know how we even got on this Pretty one. Pretty sure you started this one. See, I don't know, I I don't know if that's way. true, but I'm going to bet that you did. <laughs> that's true. I can't remember. Um so out of our respondents from all these different parts of the country, we then asked what percentage of their ancestry was Italian-American. I think that's important, obviously. We want to know. And the interesting thing is now that we're reassessing these results in future episodes, we'll get to actually dig down even deeper. So we once we have the dynamism added through this uh, next assessment, we can say, like, okay, for those who said they were 100% Italian, the answer to this question was X. But for those who said they were 50%, the answer was. So we could see sort of trends what they're based I on. I like it. Yeah, it's going to be really, f- mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of good stuff for a long time. Yeah. Um, none of us are professionally certified to do this, so who knows what we're going to come out with, but it'll be like fun. Like we care. Like we care. That's right. It's our <laughs> yeah. own podcast, and there's no federal uh, airwaves commission here, so. We're Italians yep. anyway. We That's don't right. need a official. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Um, so the, the, the percentage of ancestry I thought was pretty interesting because half of the people who responded, 48.7%, or 100% Italian-American. That was their only ethnic background. Uh, there was an additional 12% of respondents who were 75% Italian-American. Those who were half Italian-American was about almost 30%, 265 mm-hmm. 
And then those who were a quarter, it was 6.5%. And then less than that was basically about 6%. So, so most of the respondents were all Italian. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Half of the respondents were 100%. But that's what we wanted. Well, I mean, well. Well, I, I was not, I no. wanted to just see. I mean, I wanted to know, you know. I, I think that's interesting. I would have guessed, if, okay, here's what we don't know yet, right? We don't know how many of those 50% are actual listeners of the no, show. No, we don't. We, we, we will. Once we dig into the numbers, but I don't know. But we're not going to know it on this episode. No, we're not going to know okay. it on this episode. Okay, so if the majority of those people are listeners of the podcast, I find that interesting because I would have almost, I would have assumed that most of our listeners were, quote unquote, less Italian than that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see when we start to plug these things against each other and sort of you know, extrapolate out yeah. what it means. Who's listening? And I asked a, a bunch, if you, if you took it out there... Um, I'm sure you're really dying to know the results, but if you haven't taken it, you know, I tried to ask a bunch of stuff that was really very unique to our experience. So, like, I wanted to know if people were members of groups, uh, you know, paid memberships, or if they read Italian-American media and newspapers or things like that. And it was interesting to see what percentages did. It's going to be even more interesting to see how those things correlate to their percentage of Italian-American yeah. or their generation Agreed. or their you know mm-hmm. education levels or whatever it yeah. is. I feel like... My whole life, from when I started at NIF, my dream was to have information on the Italian-American community like Professor X has at the X-Men. So if you've seen the movies <laughs> or you've read the comics, he puts on this helmet because that's his power, and he sees all the mutants in the world out there, and he knows their powers. And I always wanted to really know, in a multifaceted way, who made up our community. And yeah. this is the closest I think I'll ever come. Yeah, this is right up your alley. Yeah, so I'm loving this. I, I love that 50% um, percent of the respondents are, are you know, 100% Italian. I think that's great. I, that makes me feel really confident that we are serving both sides of the coin, right? Yeah. People who are looking, you know, maybe are a little uh, less Italian percentage-wise and are looking to strengthen their connection to their Italian uh, percentage, if you may, and people who, you know, grew up with both sides of the family being Italian, feeling like this show is for them as well. That's terrific. I mean, uh, assuming that the majority of the respondents are listening. Well, they, they, they're hearing about us somehow, right? Yeah, so, that's what I mean. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to just I'm gonna just trust <laughs> that a uh, majority of the people who answered this are listeners. I'm just throwing it out there. All right, good. I, that's a good assumption. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be fake news, but I'm just... <laughs> well, doesn't matter. <laughs> we can do whatever we matter. want. Um <laughs> We then asked uh, questions about education, you know, highest levels of education. Um, It's very interesting because totaling it up, above a bachelor's degree was a substantial percentage Mm -hmm. of the listeners, which I thought was really, really interesting. Bachelor's degree, 32.7%, so let's say 33%. uh, Master's degree, 23%. Very interesting. Yeah, really. PhD, 3%. So, you know, when when you add it up, you're talking about... 59%. 59%. And you know what? We'll some, and about, I think PhD is about 3% of the general population. Yeah. So we kind of just almost exactly measure up to what the overall That's interesting. U.S. population is. That's also going to be fun, is, is comparing these against other findings, you know, what's out there yeah. on the general population. Um, we also asked about occupation, and that was an area that just had the most diversity you could ever ask for, which I think, I was talking to Stephanie earlier as we were prepping for the show, I think that that's probably um, indicative of how far we've assimilated, right? I mean, it's not like a standard industry that we're in. It's not like uh, bricklayer, yeah, hairdresser, exactly, butcher. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Barber, you know, all those old ones that yeah. you're like, organ grinder, like 30 you got nothing. Years ago. Yeah. But hold on a yeah. minute. Yeah. 
We were the best at that. Uh, at everything Amen. we've ever done. Amen. No, because we're the best at what we do. Agreed. Because we're a culture committed to excellence. Yeah. So our barbers, it's a shout out to those. The Amen. barbers were artisan barbers. Yeah, absolutely. And the bricklayers are artisan bricklayers. And the butchers as well. And people yeah. like your father who ran a pizzeria were artisan pizzaiolas. So it's just that we've moved professions. Yeah. But those people were the best at what they did. No, I'm not. Neither of us was. Who, no, no, who I'm saying like. I just, yeah. And I know that. I'm just saying like to, just for the record. Yeah. But the stereotype is not there anymore. You know, exactly. there's no like standard expectation. Right. I mean, I think that the. The thing, the thing that really fascinated me was ap- other was the big response. Now we we left like thirty options for career. I, I, mean, I took these things stock, lock and barrel from what the uh, survey website recommended. So I tried to make sure everything was in there, but really, really diverse background. A lot of educators. We had uh, about fifteen or sixteen percent educators. Business and financial was about almost ten percent. Hmm. Uh, healthcare. Professionals, almost eight percent, really diverse. Yeah, really, really interesting. But I agree with you. Like, do we know they were telling the truth? <laughs> None of this is. There was no lie meter. There's no lie detector. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Nobody's taking their blood pressure. What while was this the was percentage? Did you have a, a option for you know like creatives, like writers, artists? Yeah, art, design, entertainment, sports, and media was six point three percent. One hundred people, one hundred and two people, which is interesting. Yeah. And again, I don't know how that corresponds to exactly. the national averages and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or also to how many creative types are listening to the show. Yeah, it's true. And I, I was actually surprised, like, law enforcement, those kind of things were actually much lower. I, I always assume, maybe because we're in New York, that our people were well represented in, you know, mm. the, the law enforcement, fire departments, and, and... They may be. They may just be not well represented in this survey. For instance, you mentioned earlier the areas where the respondents live, and you mentioned Massachusetts, and I was going to say, but then we moved on, that um, that percentage is very low considering how many Italian-Americans live in Boston. I know. So that's like a failure of the show, I feel like, almost to permeate such an Italian yeah, you're enclave. Right. Well, uh, we clearly we don't have enough people. make our way up yeah, there. Yeah, clearly not enough people in uh, you know the Boston area are listening to the show. Yeah, it's true. I, and I, I mean, it's a podcast, so I'm, we're clearly all from here. New York and New Jersey, but I, I, I would imagine it's applicable to everybody. But we could, we probably need to be doing a better job of making sure it is. Yeah, or at least getting out. Just there. that they know we're here. Just so they know we're here. Yeah, I can't imagine the Boston Italian Americans be could be culture could be terribly different from the New York New Jersey culture. No, I, think, I think it's down. very. It's got to be you is really. <clears throat> how different? I think it was different. I think Boston was much more Sicilian. Okay. And Sicilians have a different. I'm not world. saying was. I'm saying now. Because so I mean, in, in attitude, I mean, I don't, I don't put Boston like too far from the New York metro area. Had such a large immigration in the '60s. I mean, I went to high school with kids who were immigrants who were born in. Yes, Italy. I agree with you. So I think that you know we've said before, like I've gone to Italian American events in parts of the country, and they played Frankie Valley as Italian music, and I was like. I just, it's like Frank Sinatra, Frankie Valley's an Italian-American performer. And if you want to talk about Italian-American musicians, that I would never, ever qualify Frankie Valley as an Italian singer. And you just go to events where people wear, like, green, white, and red skirts, and they play Frankie Valley, and that's their experience. And, like, we were talking about, like, people like Eros Ramazzotti and, and you know, Laura Pausini, who were big stars in the early in the 90s. We knew who they were because the New York, New Jersey area had a very live, active connection with Italy. I went to high school with kids who spent the whole summer in Italy and would come right. home with music. Right. 
So I think it's what's my Italy, right? So what's mm-hmm. so, and I think parts of the country have had much more intermarriage, especially, I mean, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh is like, if you take all the Italian American organizations that are in Pennsylvania, you'd be hard pressed to find a pure British Italian. Unless they, unless the small, and you did get a percentage of people who immigrated in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you did. Now we're nearly as close as the New York metro area because you already, Rust Belt industry was already going down. But I think that if you go, I call it like the, the Pennsylvania pizzeria route. So all the pizzerias in Pennsylvania are people who immigrated. And that's what they did. But if you go to like, you know, your Sons of Italy Lodge or, you know, your Unico chapter or your Italian Sons and Daughters, you're going to have, okay, my grandfather was from Italy, my grandmother was Slovakian, and I'm part, like, Polish because it was it was uh, coal mining intermarriage. Now, if you go to Massachusetts, it's a huge amount of Italian-French-Canadian intermarriage. Hmm. We even have members of New Neighbor because that was, you know, was the whole Catholic, you know, Italian-Irish. Because if you take the big populations of New England, it was uh, the Calico, like the Catholic found, founding populations. It's very much Irish- French, Canadian, and Italian. So you have little pockets of Polish, but it's nowhere if you go out to, let's say, Chicago, right. where it, maybe it would be one, one of the dominant cultures, right? Um, Italian-Americans have a different uh, seat at the table. But then again, the Italians of Chicago are mostly Sicilian. The same way the Italians of Louisiana are mostly Sicilian. The North End, for the most part, is mostly Sicilian. And I think one part we don't look at is that part of our experience is very much from where the founding population came from. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say this, and I, I, you can tell an Italian community by its bakery. You want to you wanna, you wanna be able to understand an Italian community, go to the bakery, because if you go from Providence to northern New Jersey, it's Campania. That whole 95 corridor is Campania. Because even the parts of Connecticut that say they're from Southern Lazio, they were Campania before Mussolini. Neapolitans have a very strong pastry tradition, right? Sicilians do, but it's a little bit different. Um, if you go out to places like Western Pennsylvania or Ohio, they really don't have the Italian pastry tradition that we do because they came from towns in Calabria and Basilicata and Sicily that were so poor that sugar was an unseen luxury. Mm. I mean, remember, there's towns in Calabria that didn't get cakes, because I've talked to you in the past about you had to fry stuff because you had ovens that were wood ovens that were unmanageable. You know, Neapolitans would leave Naples right after the war, and they went to different parts of the South and open up pastry shops because the gas ovens were around. They could do it. So when if you're in, if you're in let's say, Youngstown, you may not have, you know, when your ancestors came, the only dessert might have had at Christmas and Easter. It might have been a little bit of honey with some crushed chickpeas in a gazon-type setting that was fried, and that was it. So you don't have that bakery tradition. The reason I'm bringing it up is different communities brought different traditions. So Italian-Americans from New Jersey go out to, let's say, I don't know, Ohio or Iowa, and, and they might say, uh, different parts of Ohio. Remember, Ohio, there's many Ohios, right? So Youngstown is different than Canton, which is different sure. than Columbus, which is different than Cleveland. They go to one part of Ohio, and they're like, oh, wow, you don't, there's no Sfiatels out here. And they go to the guy behind the counter, what's a Sfiatel, you know, about a Sfiatel, and they get a, they get a, they get a funny look. It's because it's just not part of their tradition. So I think that, to get back to it, Boston was an Irish-French-Canadian intermarriage with a predominantly Sicilian population. And that's why the feast did so well in Sicily. Sicilians are anti-clerical. They didn't get involved with the parish church. The, the Saint Society stayed independent. And that's why the North End has the best feast in the whole country. You, you lead very naturally to our next question that we ask, which is, from which region 
is or are your Italian ancestors, right? And I think it's going to be interesting in the future to run those numbers against where you live now and see if those trends hold up. But it, it was fascinating to me because the largest percentage of respondents at almost a quarter, 24.1%, uh, were Sicilian American. And then Campania came in at 22.3%, so right on the heels of, uh, of Sicily. Then Calabria comes in at about almost 14%, and Abruzzo, 8%, Puglia, which is sitting at about 7%, Lazio, Rome, inclusive, about 4%, and uh, other, again, got to dig into those results, uh, Basilicata, Molise, and then down, Tuscany, Piedmont, I don't know, Emilia-Romagna, Liguria, Lombardia, Veneto, Marche. So, you know, if you total up the South... The Lazio number is, can be a confusing number because sort of Frosinone really should be part of Campania. You're right. That's true. So they, they're culturally Campania. Mussolini moved them. They should be moved back. So any number, Lat, Campania should be higher and Lazio should be lower. I bet you Lazio comes in at 1%. I bet you if you take out Frosinone, if you take Frosinone, Soda, Gaeta, that area out, I, and that's all the people that are in 95 quarter, Connecticut, Rhode Island, I bet you our numbers, Campania's numbers go up by three, and I would say... Lazio goes down by three. So Campania really should be 25%. <laughs> <laughs> Got it? That was a good, that's called the Pat algorithm. That's called the but Pat Neapolitan what, algorithm. What, what, <laughs> hold on. What, what are the Sicilian numbers? Sicily the is 24.1. The biggest. Uh, no, they're not. Because if you, right. no, that's in, if you that's take inaccurate. his numbers and you bring them over to Campania, Campania is the largest. If you audience. take out the lot, because they're by confused. 1%. By 1%. That's yeah. all we need. <laughs> it's, you know, we, we, this is who we are. We fight for, you know, one inch for a bell tower. Our bell tower is taller that's than yours. Right. That's all we want. And our region, 1% more people from our region no, sat seriously, through this half-an-hour survey. Can we amend this to put Campania? No, no, I'm being honest with you. We have to. Well, we, we would be academically we dishonest. Don't that that <laughs> we don't know. But they don't know. But, but they, mm. did, they did the best they that's could. Like they what don't I know. Want Nobody the but you knows. they demanded the recount. <laughs> you know? that's, that's ridiculous. There was fact. hanging chads from Naples that were not counted. But I think the thing that was really interesting to me, I mean, look, this all corresponds to the fact that this is a southern Italian diaspora. Yeah. I think people are tired of hearing us say that, but the, the numbers of this at least have pan out. But the thing that was really interesting to me, and again, as Dolores points out, maybe it's because they're listening to us and they've found us and they're the kind of people seeking these things out. But I was actually shocked that only 37 respondents said they didn't know where their family came from. Ah, I thought that interesting was really point. Seven, interesting total, point. out of 1,600. Wow, that's a that's a that's impressive. Mm -hmm. That's an impressive. Yeah, God knows and they we, could be you wrong, know what? but I mean they. Yeah, you know. yo, if if you're in that 37, con we'll find out who you. Yeah, are. <laughs> that's right. Come to Pat. We're gonna. We're if gonna you are, we'll get to the bottom of that yep. for you. If you are one of those 37, yeah, that's very impressive. That's a good sign of um, you know, the, our our communities uh, keeping in touch with yeah. its roots, basically, you know, or at least working to find out. Yeah. Right. Maybe the generation before didn't know, but you know the some of those uh, MAs or PhDs are doing the work to find yeah. out what their you know their right. parent the research find yeah. out what their parents didn't know. Yeah, I think people really. It's very popular right now. now. It is very yeah, popular, you yeah. know we've talked about that so much. I mean, people are really thirsty and hungry to reconnect to their heritage uh, or to deepen their connection. Yeah. To really understand it in a, mm -hmm. in a sophisticated way. and live it. I, f I find that more than just know it like intellectually, you know, to live it. Uh, and feel connected to the traditions that uh, their their ancestors were a part of, and to appreciate how absolutely diverse Italy's culture is, you know yeah. what I mean, and and how 
that second bite at the apple of understanding where you are from in a specific way deepens the whole experience. And that's such a luxury that we have now, you know, right, and, right. and, and I'm so glad that with the arrival of new technologies and new ways to search and uh, digitized genealogy and DNA and all the like, that people are a pursuing it, b finding answers and see then, you know, it's a, it's a whole nother chance to reconnect in a, in a deeper way. I love that. Me too. Absolutely. I'm really, really excited by a lot of these results. Um, then we asked what generation of your family immigrated, and that's a very loaded question because obviously like someone like myself has multiple generations that immigrated here. I have a grandfather that was born in Italy, and I have a great-grandfather that was born in Brooklyn. So, you know, that, that sort of spread was interesting. But I did see that about 45% of the respondents said their grandparents immigrated, and about 31% said their great-grandparents immigrated, mm. and about... 18.5% said their parents immigrated, hmm. which I thought was kind of yeah. made sense to me. Yeah. You know, we're sort of in that point. Yeah. About 45% had a grandparent that had come at least or, you know. Well, I mean, that like kind of makes a lot of sense to me because as someone whose parents immigrated, I felt like I grew up in such a small percentage of Italian Americans where it's, you know, you just really do see the world a little bit differently when you're a first generation Italian yeah. American. I mean, I don't care what you guys think. Like, there, there's some, like, there's some weird thing that's, like, people can't agree on what is first generation. It totally frustrates the hell out of me. But that's one thing. It depends, yeah, who you ask. They're like, yeah, like everything really, else It today. depends who you ask. And I said, well, I'm a first generation Italian-American. They're like, no, you're not. You're a second generation. Your parents are the first generation because they're the generation that immigrated. And I was like, but I'm the first generation born here. Right. Yeah, I so agree. So I'm really, my you know. You become an American, but yes. like I know, agree my parents are. who became Americans when they were it's, adults. It's anthropologists and, and sociologists who insist that you call yourself second generation. Fine. And they are going to have to come and pull the first generation mark <laughs> out of my cold, right. clutched, dead hands. Exactly. I'm right there with you. Yeah, right from the mouth of the, Amen. Of the horse. Amen. I'll, I'll, you create a diversion and I'll hit him in the head with a shovel. <laughs> Dolores, because I'm right there with you, because I am a first-generation yep. Italian-American, and I really, I was very aware that I was part of this very small community yeah. very early on. Yeah. So it's such a, a very distinct way that you see the world when you grow up that way. Right. And that's why I say this. I always felt a little too American for Italians and a little too Italian for Americans, and the only people who truly understood me were people like me. Yeah, and, uh, that grew up the same way I did, and like had to read mail for their relatives, and had to, and had a certain sense of responsibility. Yeah, that other kids didn't have. Yeah. I was very aware of that from a very early age. Like yeah. we've talked about on the show, like uh, you guys serve as sort of cultural guideposts for the elders in your family mm -hmm. into this country that is yours, and that's a responsibility exactly that I don't right. think people understand. Mm -hmm. Because that was very much also the last generation of immigrants that immigrated but had no real intention of becoming American. Right. Because that that was the last generation that, that intended to go back to Italy. Right. Yeah. I don't agree with you. And I know, but I'm going to tell you what, the difference. I think your experience is very much a Molay's experience. No, but hold on, because I see, I see the smoke coming out of your ears. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, because no, a lot on. of what she said, I can relate to. No, but hold and on, because I'm, I'm first generation on my father's side. Mm -hmm. So I understand what you're trying to say. There is a difference, but it depends on what age your parents immigrated 
So some people are, I'll say, first-generation American born. But your father had your mother to help him with these yeah, things. Yeah, but my and he spoke English. No, but hold on. That's the first language. No, but hold on. No, no, no. Let me give you the... the yeah, but my, my parents did not intend to go back to Italy. My grandmother, my grandmother and her entire family did. So I just think it's a unique experience to see it from the point of view of people trying to come to America and not viewing it quite as the promised land. Yeah. Viewing it as the way to make money. But, but I, I, I disagree with you. But they didn't want to make money and keep it in America and stay right. in America and live in America. They just wanted to make money because they were literally starving. Yeah, yeah but I, I, can I just say something? I'm going to say this, and I think this is— I think other immigrants today look, view America as, uh, I'm going to go there, and I'm never coming back to this place ever again, and they're really ready in their hearts and their minds to leave it behind. I—, I I'm gonna my, tell you, my family, at the very least, wasn't. But let me just tell you this, and I think you're going to understand it better. You're going to get this. Being born in this country first generation, there's different types of immigrant parents. There's the immigrant parent that is, uh, you're born here, you're born in America, but you're really not an American. Yeah. And I'm going to raise you like you're like, like we're going to go back, right? And they sent their kids back every summer, and they completely- Rosella's family. Right, but they had no, it was like, we're completely unintegrated, Right. The, then, pa- the parents that didn't want to teach you English. Right. Yeah, they didn't want to teach you English. And, you know, like, and the, if, you, if you dated somebody outside the tribe, they flipped out. There yeah. was that crowd. But then there was the crowd who didn't want to go back. Right. I mean, the, the, the old country was not, a, was not a honeymoon for everybody. Yeah. I mean, some people had horrible lives over there. They, you know, uh, they, they lived in a medieval society, right, where, you know, you know they had, you know, we, I think we... we we glorify the old country, right? But they had uh, abuse and alcoholism and, dep- and they had uh, spousal abuse and abandoning families and poverty and glass ceilings and all that stuff. So there were some people that came that said, yes, I'm here in America to make money and then we're going to go back. And I grew up with some of those kids. And you're just, you're not really an American. We're just kind of living here till we make money and then we're going to go back and restart our lives over there. And there were some people who didn't want to go back because they had the abusive step-parent or because they had the parent who walked out on them or because... And I can give you a million stories of people in the Cilento. There, there are outliers like that in every... But you think I, every Molise person like, sure, loves sure. Mola Dibati no, no, and wants but, to go Ro, back? Ro, like, not, we're the most self-loathing <laughs> no, but Ro, what I'm of trying, the bodies. That's what makes yeah, you but, funny. But hold on, Ro. What I'm trying to say is that the, the interesting perspective that you, me, and Dolores have is that we're first generation born in this country. And I just say to people sometimes, you know, my father's childhood in Ireland was basically Angela's ashes. My father did not have, my father had a very, very rough life growing up in Ireland. And when my father left in 1960, my father didn't go back for 28 years. Now, you know, there were some people who are Irish American that the kids were like completely un-Americanized. You know, there were pockets like Ridgewood, Queens, and other parts where you know, the kids went for, like, Irish step dancing, and they were shipped back to Ireland every summer. And it wasn't a choice. It was like, it was like an indoctrination type thing, right? And I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. And I think the Italian-American community, there were some people who said, you know what, I, I love Italy, but I could never live there again. You know, there's plenty of people who said, you know, I grew up in a village. You know, I know people who say, you know, I'm, I'm back there for three weeks and everybody's in my business again. You know, I, I kind of like to come back to the American suburb. Um, Pat just outlined every single feeling I have about <laughs> Italy. I didn't, want, are- I didn't want to go back. Yeah, yeah, I, but I'm I, saying... It was like a punishment. They would ship us there <laughs> in the very beginning. No, those are the, great, the greatest times of my entire life. But yeah. let me be very clear. My parents 
totally just mailed us there with non Romana and like I would see photos of them on the beach setting turtles free in Mexico. You know, we weren't like we were very much forced to be so Italian in but the very and, beginning. And, 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 the and we wanted that. and that part of my life, I very much wanted to be an American. I, I was jealous of other American children. So jealous. But what's your point with that? Because uh, I don't disagree what I, what with I'm you. I'm saying, but I'm just saying what's, you, your, what's the, the three point? Of us, there's a lot of people who listen here who don't have the immigrant experience. And I think they glorify that their ancestors oh. left paradise. Oh, of, oh a, a I poor see. Poor paradise and came to America and, and worked really hard. You know, Italy was great. But it was poor. But I'm trying to say is that they got the same social problems over there right. that we got over here. Yeah. They just have better lunches. <laughs> oh my god my friend's husband like left sorrento to come here and marry her and he talks like you know he's like like what did i come here for to like connecticut well sorrento now might be say, a rough yeah. place to leave as opposed to sorrento in 1945 i just think that people have to understand that we're not a monolithic we're not a monolith yeah, some people, you know, and I know, I know. Yeah, my my parents were both. Rep- my father always wanted to go back. He thought he was going to be here for like five years and go back home. And my mother had absolutely no interest in ever going back because her life was, as you described, yeah, your like, father like your and my mother. Life. We've had conversations. Yes. had very was, much similar right. lives. And I, you know, I I know a Sicilian guy. He's in his sixties. Um, he came to America and he had the arranged marriage, basically. The girl from the hometown, he knew at 14, you know, they didn't really date in Italy. Like, he would just go over to the house on Sunday and have coffee and pastries. He comes here, like, at 17, sends for her at 19, gets married. Then he got a job here, and he became very Americanized. And he was, like, working in New York in the John Travolta 70s. Mm. And he basically, I don't know if he had an affair on his wife. He left his wife. And he married an American, I think she was Italian-American. She married an Italian-American woman, or basically an American New Yorker. And he's like, listen, I left like a medieval Sicily. I basically had an arranged marriage. We really didn't know each other. We didn't have that much in common. Like if we had stayed in Sicily, I would have worked the farm. She would have right. cooked. I came to America. I got all kinds of new ideas that I never had in Sicily. You know, love for love, dating, all this other stuff. I was working in New York. Um, she wasn't on the same page as me. She was still very much in Sicily. I thought we didn't have a lot in common. And he like left her at 22. And he was basically... Ostrac- I mean, can you imagine in the 1970s leaving your, he walked out on her. Sure, it's like being shunned by the army. Sure, and he walked, and he talks about it, and I, he opened my eyes because he was like, you know, I never should have married her because when I came to America, I realized I was changing. Right. But it was the Italian sense of duty. There are some cultural things. He had to do it. He couldn't leave her. I know another Italian-American guy, two Italian-Americans that had the arranged marriage all set up, and I call it arranged because they were dating the girl mm-hmm. from the hometown. It wasn't really dating. It was more like a courtship. Yeah. And um, one guy went back that they were supposed to get engaged, and he just couldn't do it because he had met an American. And he um, and everybody in the town's like, "You destroyed her. You ruined her life. Uh, who's going to marry her now?" And he's like, "He couldn't do it." You know, I know another guy that um, he sent a dear John letter home. So there was a girl that he had courted in Italy. He was supposed to make some money here, send for her, and he decided, you know, I just can't marry her. I've met these American girls. It's it's a different thing. And he sent the letter back saying, listen, I just can't go through with this. I just wrote, I'm working on a novel. I just wrote an entire chapter, like, about this exact, with the two of my characters. And exactly how, like, the wife and the father, with raising their kids, and, you know, like, want, they look at things differently. 
And then what happens to your kids when you you have a marriage like that? You know, they I, become I, American. And I think this is why. Italian. And this is why I love the NPR aspect of this show, because I think we get to talk about these adult issues that are of a. It's a higher. You know, we we have to anthropologically honestly examine the experience. But we're an hour in, and you haven't even put a dent in that survey. No, and which is why I'm so excited about this. So. This is going to be a two-part episode because there's Two so part. much good stuff. We here. still didn't figure out how much to put in the envelope. This is <laughs> tied up. This is going to last us to like next Christmas. <laughs> Probably true. But I just want to take a second for all you Italian American podcast fans out there in the New York, New Jersey area. I want to share a couple of really exciting events coming up with you, where some members of our podcast team will be out there. So we're really excited to support Bergen Community College's Cinema Chicone Silent Film Series. They're featuring the Docks of New York on Tuesday, February 11th. A Santa Notte on Thursday, February 13th, and The Adventurer on Thursday, February 20th. And our very own, the notorious P.O.B., will be the evening's MC for A Santa Notte, the title of which is in Neapolitan. On February 13th, he'll be there and available for a post-show meet-and-greet, and the college is offering a special discount to listeners of the Italian-American podcast. Tickets are only $10 and can be reserved by calling the theater box office at 201-447-7428. That's 201-447-7428. 7428. And the Howard Beach Columbus Day Foundation here in uh, New York City is going to be having their 8th annual St. Joseph's Day celebration, the San Giuseppe Dinner. That'll be Sunday, March 15th at 1230. Russo's on the Bay in Howard Beach, New York, and $135 per person for a ticket. And you can RSVP by March 1st by calling 718-805-2100. That's 718-805-2100. It's going to be a great night, and supporting these local events uh, goes a long way in keeping Italian-American culture alive. So we hope you've all enjoyed this first look at our survey. Thanks for listening, and come back next week, because we're going to dig deeper into some of the more specific questions around the Italian-American experience and our Italian Identity Survey 2020. So we'll see you next time. It was a great (laughs) year. See that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.